Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO, co-founder of RackN, and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. This session is a one-on-one with Scott Winkler, the author of Terraform in Action. Uh, and we had a really exciting comment with some great insights. It's very, very frustrating. Keep trying to keep on top of all of these things. You spent all this time to get your module in a working state, and then suddenly it breaks out from under you for no reason of your own. Uh, and that was just a taste of this amazing conversation that we had around Terraform and how to make it a great productive tool for you. This is for people who are comfortable with the tool already and thinking about what, how do I take it to the next level? Where is it going to run out of gas? What are the danger zones? So we really think about you know your infrastructure as code system and where Terraform fits in it and not assume that it is the hammer for every nail. Um, Great content. Enjoy the conversation. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you. It's, it's very good to be here. Uh, could you just, before we dive into the, 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 the weeds on Terraform and Infrastructure as Code, could you go ahead and introduce yourself and let the audience know a little bit about your background and what led you to decide to write a book about Terraform? Yeah, so I, I've been following Terraform for several years now. The reason why I decided to write a book on Terraform was because I felt that there was a lot of material on how to get started with Terraform, but not really material on what are the next steps that you can do with Terraform? What are the problems that you can solve with Terraform? And how are people even using it? And what I found that there just was a, a lot of misinformation or it was very scattered information. And so my book is just a compilation of different design patterns that I've seen people use. And some of them are good, some of them are bad, uh, but it's just taking a non-biased approach of uh, the, the state of Terraform as it is now. That makes a lot of sense. Do you, you know, Terraform to me sort of predates the infrastructure as code or at least people calling it infrastructure as code. Do you, you know, how do you see the broader industry around Terraform? Is it, is it representative? Is it just the tip of the iceberg? What is, how, how should people think of Terraform in the, the, big, the big picture of automation? Well, Terraform is not exactly new. It's been around for seven, eight years now. And uh, before then, we had CloudFormation, which was even years before that. So this idea of managing your infrastructure in a declarative way using code is not new. And in fact, even the premise of Terraform is not new. It's, it's a state management tool fundamentally is what it is. You have create, read, update, delete, and you, you store state, full information. And then, uh, but what it, it does is it makes it easy and it makes it a lot easier than other kinds of state management tools that we had before. And I think the ease of use is what has propelled it into the, the limelight in recent years. And we'll probably continue to see growth in the foreseeable future. But again, so, there's nothing particularly special about it either. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I think back to Terraform, you know, it, especially in the timeframes you're talking about, we had a ton of tools that were trying to be multi-cloud API shims, right? Where And then we still have these things where people are like, all right, here's an API to interface to your cloud, our API, and then we figure out a whole bunch of stuff in the background. Terraform sort of said, ah, screw it. We're not going to make one. Like, we're, they're not, there's no forcing in, in Terraform to make all of the clouds have the same schema, right? They're close, but they're different. 
Do you, do you see that, you know, how does, how does that help? How does that hurt? Well, it, it helps because they're able to be, they can deploy to multiple environments, multiple clouds. So public, private cloud, doesn't matter. They have different providers for each. And that does take more work on their behalf because now you're, you're creating a lot of these handcrafted providers for each cloud vendor. Um, I have seen some cloud vendors that will create their cloud programmatically, like with generated code, but those aren't very successful. Um, the, the, the best ones are going to be the ones that are going to be handcrafted, which again, take a lot of work. And uh, I, I think the advantage of that approach is that uh, the user of these resources doesn't have to know that much about the API in order to be able to deploy resources to that cloud. They don't have to do any error handling with the APIs. They don't have to do any retry with the APIs. Uh, if there's any kind of weird stuff going on with the APIs, they don't even have to know that. They can just declare their resource and use it. So there's definitely an advantage there. Um, yeah. And then that they can use the same tool no matter where they are, whether they're on the private data center or they're migrating to the cloud or they're if they're, they don't, they're not locked to a particular cloud. Right, and that and that's helpful. What I what I always find it's it's fun it's funny because I see it as both liberating and frustrating simultaneously. Um, if I'm building a Terraform plan and I want that works on say Amazon and I want to take it to Azure, the 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 resources and the even the 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 things I have to provide to make that resource work are really different. And I know you know I was at HashiConf when it was here in Austin. And like, it, like a third of the presentations were, oh yeah, we wrote our own plan generators. And it, it seems like plan generators are a thing. Is that your, has that been your experience for that? Is that like companies trying to abstract out the, the heterogeneity for plans or, you know, create consistency for plans? Mm -hmm. No, I've definitely seen people create their own uh, wrapper around plan outputs because Either uh, they don't like what the, the plan is telling them or it's not very relevant information or mm. it, it just doesn't help them make a very informed decision because all it tells you is X resources are going to be created, X resources are going to be updated, X resources are going to be deleted. And you don't really have a lot of insight of what that actually means for your application. In fact, uh, when you're doing plans and applies every day, it's very easy to miss things. And just because it's the plan says that it's gonna succeed doesn't actually tell you anything about the health of your application or your service. Um, so that can definitely be an issue. And that's one reason why people will use uh, like a testing layer that, that not only deploys the, the, the code, but then will perform some kind of checks against it. Uh, Terra test is a very popular one. Uh, where you deploy the infrastructure and then you'll you'll make a bunch of API calls to make sure that your infrastructure is actually behaving as you would expect it to behave. That that seems like a strange strange afterthought. I mean, I thought that Terraform, like you do an apply, Terraform says this is the way it is. How do you reconcile if you're running a test? Where does it it figure out how does it do the reconcil the reconciliation against what Terraform thinks it did and what's there? And then how does it fix it if there's a problem? Because Terraform's sort of notorious for not liking if things change behind the scenes. Um, that's, 
that's what they would have you believe that it does, but actually things change behind the scenes all the time. So yeah. uh, that's, I think that's one of the biggest misnomers about Terraform is that it, it's uh, that things don't change uh, because that's kind of the principle that it was uh, that it's like, if the state changes and you have to create a new resource, you can't just update in place, but actually most resources are going to implement update and that's going to be an in place update. So uh, that's no different than how any other tool would behave. Um, I I mean I guess when I've when I've played with Terraform and and I've I've watched on the Twitters there's sort of every once in a while you'll see somebody pop up with the oh Terraform just reset my whole environment reconciling the state. Um, I mean is that's is that some of that's just the providers aren't well written or is that part of you know, so, so the way that Terraform yeah. reconciles state is actually very simple. So what it does is if you have a resource, then it will do a refresh on the state of that resource when you perform a plan. So essentially it's just doing a get request against that resource and seeing what the current state is. If it exists, then is it different than what it should be in state? And if so, then how can it perform an update to get to the desired state? Mm -hmm. uh, but it's not looking at the, the larger picture necessarily. It's more concerned with uh, dependencies between resources and making sure that you can create, read, update, delete specific resources. And if, uh, if, if something is out of whack, then it'll help get you to that desired state. But it's not that intelligent and... Uh, again in the in the larger thing like does like asking the bigger questions like does your service actually do what you say you what you want it to do it, it doesn't right. give you that information right it's it's about it's a resource shim and and i think it's been it's an amazingly effective one right we we use it quite a bit from that perspective it's it's encapsulated these apis it's really exposed them in useful ways so that's helpful i guess the the thing that i think about you know, from your experience, do you have things that you would tell people building or using Terraform to, you know, make sure that they they reconcile or check or make sure that you know what what they what they build is you know rerunnable? Actually, let me ask it this way: Do you do you do you encourage people to build plans that they can keep applying, like continuously apply their plans to always re reconcile and update? How how long should a a plan state last? So uh, a lot of this has to do with problems with providers because there's mm. many times when you'll do a plan, the plan will succeed, but the apply will fail. Or maybe the apply will fail the first time. Again, it'll succeed. And then if you run the apply again, it'll want to change resources for some reason. And then yeah. you, you do the apply again and again. And it's, um, it's very strange. Uh, and so when you are looking at the state, Sometimes like just having no changes is you'll never even get to there. Um, but the, of course that would be the desired one, whether or not you achieve that. I think that's kind of uh, irrelevant. Um, a lot of the times when I think of using Terraform, I, what it's really good at is static infrastructure to, uh, provisioning. So, uh, instead of deploying things that change all the time, just deploy things that are going to be form the foundation layer for whatever it is that 
you're going to be using. So hmm. if that's okay. um, if that's going to be a Kubernetes cluster, then deploy the the virtual machines on uh, the cloud and, and then start up Kubernetes and make sure that that Kubernetes is started. But then the, the applications and the configuration of that can be done separately. Uh, because again, the Terraform applies are, are pretty slow uh, when you're starting up all of these different providers. It's very, very slow. And then performing the diff calculation and the state isn't always as accurate as we would like it to be. And then also if the state gets corrupted, it's which is what I'd like to say when like the state doesn't quite match um, what you think it is. We've all been there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's terrible. And uh, the, the way the imports work right now is awful. Uh, I recently had to restore somebody's state file that was deleted and, and do this by hand. And oh, that God. was an exercise in, in uh, pain and in frustration. Uh, but that's, that, that's the reality of uh, Terraform is, is that it, I mean, it's just a very simple state management tool. So if you lose that state um, and then trying to get that back can be very difficult. That makes a lot of sense. I've had that, I've had that experience firsthand. It's, it's state files are, are precious uh, and you have to be careful from that perspective. The, so from uh, Terraform, right? What you were talking about is, is a workflow that Terraform plus something else. Uh, what, do, what, what do you see people using? Um, is those post stages? Like how do they chain things together and are there best practices for making Terraform easier to chain as part of a workflow? Hmm. Yes. So even with the proprietary products that HashiCorp comes out with, it's essentially a CI CD pipeline where you have a version controlled system that ingests the configuration code and then triggers a Terraform plan, Terraform apply, but then they also have webhooks. So they acknowledge, even HashiCorp acknowledges that you can't really do necessarily everything you wanna do in, in Terraform. Like what if you wanna make a Slack uh, notification or what if you want to trigger some custom script or run tests or, or anything like that, yeah. then you, you need to integrate Terraform as, as part of a larger tool set. And uh, I think that, again, there's the temptation to use Terraform for everything because that Terraform apply that just sets up all your infrastructure and deploys everything all at once is very appealing. But the reality is it's very difficult to actually achieve that. And even if you do achieve that, it's not necessarily what you want because it's gonna be slower. Uh, you're not gonna get the application delivery as fast as you, you would like. And again, there's better tools for combining with Terraform. Terraform is just one tool and there's many tools that uh, you can use. Right, no, that makes a ton of sense to me. Um... In fact, in one of the chapters of my book, I talk about using Terraform with Ansible because if you're gonna be deploying a virtual machine onto whatever cloud and you want to deploy your application onto that that um, that virtual machine, you could do that with Terraform. It's definitely something that's possible, but uh, in order for Terraform to be able to deploy a new version of your application, it's gonna restart that instance. Why would you wanna do that? There's, there's 
no reason to do that. You could do Ansible to just push a, an application update without having to restart that machine. Yeah, the, the idempotency of Terraform is a challenge in, in, in what you're describing. And then reaching into the systems is definitely not something Terraform has done well. I started looking at that pattern in Terraform and it- Oh, it, no, yeah. It's, yeah. I consider that an anti-pattern actually. The, the whole remote exec provisioners, local exec provisioners, uh, being able to call scripts uh, external scripts with Terraform was definitely an afterthought, and um, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it wasn't done very well, in my opinion. No, that makes sense. I mean, and but even even the Terraform Ansible pattern, I've seen people describe as terrible um, as a portmanteau um, from that perspective, and it it can be very sensitive to building you know, these, these chains, is, is there something that you see makes people more successful when they build it? I think we, we've all agreed that we, we need, it's a chain. It's not a, there's no one tool. Mm -hmm. Is there something that helps people be more successful in, in building good, good solid chains? Yes. So what I like to do is uh, consider what changes frequently and consider what changes infrequently and to separate these out. So I call these your static infrastructure versus your dynamic infrastructure. So your static infrastructure, things that don't change that much, good idea to deploy that with Terraform. The things that change a lot, that's gonna be things like your application source code, you should deploy that onto the infrastructure using a separate process, one that doesn't involve Terraform at all uh, because I, I think you'll find that if you if you try to use Terraform for application delivery, you're going to be disappointed. Um, there's definitely people that have done that. Again, there's like the Helm provider for Terraform. Um, you can deploy Kubernetes pods with Terraform, but that's uh, it's not a very good practice. And it only works for some small microservice, maybe that doesn't really matter that much. Like I, I've seen serverless patterns that, that are, are pretty successful with that approach just because it's, it's just like a simple little code that you're trying to deploy. You're not going to be updating that code very often. It's more like an appliance. Whereas if you, the application code is part of your main product, then yeah, you should manage that using a separate CI/CD pipeline and that you're going to be a lot more successful with that. Right. No, that makes makes a lot of sense. Is there, you know, when, when people look, and actually, this is a good good point to me to talk about infrastructure as code, because what, what you're describing to me is part of a, you know, whole system of infrastructure as code. I, I've seen people um, point to Kubernetes and say, that's infrastructure as code, or YAML files is infrastructure as code, or Terraform is infrastructure as code. And the, the, quite, the anytime I have conversations about this, it, it sort of bubbles back to infrastructure as code is, is more process and collaboration and transparency. It's, it's more about how you build successful teams and automation. Do you have secrets that you think make something more infrastructure as code? I think infrastructure as code is one of those words that can mean everything and nothing. But if you look at just what the definition of infrastructure as code is, it's being able to provision and manage infrastructure through code. And that code can be anything. That can be a script, a little bash script that you, you run against ALI. That can also be more commonly with declarative programming languages, things like Terraform. But there's many other examples of infrastructure as code. I mean, for, for example, CloudFormation is one, but even like pipelines, like Jenkins has a pipeline that you can declare as code. 
And sure. uh, GitHub Actions is another example. Um, Helm charts are another example. There's just so many examples of infrastructure as code and, and Terraform is just one of them. And it's not even, uh, it's good at what it does, yeah. but it, it's not good at everything. And I think that there's, uh, I, I like the tendency toward infrastructure as code, but I wouldn't describe it as a process. I, I would describe it as what the technology actually is. Um, and also hmm. there's the question of like, what, what is infrastructure even? Because these <laughs> days um, sure. it's not a one-to-one -one with like, oh, this is going to deploy a virtual machine and it's going to start up with this operating system. That, does, that doesn't really make a lot of sense when we're talking about APIs that maybe don't even refer to raw uh, compute anymore. It, it's, uh, it's more like a wrapper around an API. Is that even infrastructure anymore? That sounds more like a API wrapper to me. So, yeah. so the, the thing that makes Terraform to me powerful in what you're saying is that it lets you talk to multiple APIs in one plan. Mm -hmm. um, and from an infrastructure as code perspective, I, I totally agree that saying, oh, I can set up a VM or tear down a VM, right? Like a CLI call to Amazon or, or Google. You know, it's like, hey, yay, I created a VM. What we've learned really conclusively, and I think Terraform illustrates really well, is that it's not so simple to just say, hey, I've got a, um, you know, a command that does it. You actually have to set up, you know, multiple APIs to have even a VM online in the cloud. Right, you know, when I when I look at my plans, it's like, oh, I have to set up SSH keys. I actually have to create SSH keys so that they can be injected into the machine. I have to set up networking topologies and, and port groups. I have to set up regions and like like, oh my goodness, I have to hit six or seven APIs to do the most simple action. And and Terraform has gotten is good at providing me with ways to do that. Um, and then you can cross providers. So you can merge, you know, actions against the DNS infrastructure or firewall infrastructure or, you know, different, you know, so many different providers now uh, from that perspective. Uh, mm -hmm. But then, you know, when you, once you've gotten those plan files, I, those things are powerful, powerful tools. How do, how do people make their plans sustainable from that perspective? Right. I guess that's where I see infrastructure as code comes in. It's like, I've got this amazing, this amazing tool that's let me talk to all these APIs. And now I've got a file <laughs> that lets me do that. How should people look at, at managing that file control, you know, like incrementing it over time, making sure that it's version controlled, that the dependencies are set. Do you, do you have best practices around that? Well, when you specifically talk about the Terraform plan, that's not going to be version controlled. That's just the, a one-time thing that you can throw away later. Uh, but with the result of the apply, you're gonna have stateful information that you, you can version control and you can store somewhere. I have an entire chapter on my book actually regarding secrets management with Terraform because um, secrets with, with Terraform, there's just so many of them and they're spread everywhere. And it's very hard to actually control where the secrets go um, to, because there's just so many potentials to, to leak secrets, even yeah. with like local exec provisioners and 
data data sources and uh, I mean the list just goes on and on. Uh, so yeah, you're gonna have to be pretty mindful about that. Some people have been starting to use like Sentinel as code in order to enforce that your your uh, resources are your, a certain way as part of the plan. But that doesn't even run until after your plan is already finished. And what a lot of people don't realize is that code can execute, even arbitrary code can execute during the plan. And there could be mm. huge security implications of that. For example, like if I'm making a pull request against somebody else's Terraform code and they trigger that to run a plan automatically as a result of a, a, a pull request from a fork, which is like a very common thing. Like you want to make sure that if the, 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 the code will build or run or whatever. But actually, even just doing that, um, you can execute arbitrary code as part of the plan and their entire state file could be compromised as a result. Uh, I, and that's pretty scary from that, that perspective. It is very scary. In fact, that was actually the, the thing that a lot of people said when they read my chapter was that they, they didn't even know that Terraform could do these kinds of things or had these security problems associated with them. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's kind of a big deal. And it's, it's especially concerning as people are using Terraform for more and more uh, provisioning and management. Right. But do you, I mean, I guess if, if you don't see people preserving plans, cause I had, my assumption had been that plans would be, you know, as a team, they would say, look, here's how we set up this infrastructure. We're going to get control of the plan and people are going to, you know, and then they have to manage the state file also. But, you know, those, those plans seem to me to be like the, the common shared way that I would, I would have, you know, um, a whole team working collaboratively on setting up an infrastructure or, you know, I might have a company that says, you know what, every time we set up a cloud server, we're going to run, you know, we want it to follow the, these plan steps. You don't, you don't see that as a sort of a, a common language for how, how people build infrastructure with Terraform? No, I mean, you're right. Like before you apply the changes, you definitely want to review the results of the plan. Okay. But Again, uh, I mean, the plan doesn't tell you everything. Just because a plan succeeds doesn't mean that the apply is going to succeed. Um, okay. So I don't trust. Uh, over the years, I've come to distrust oh, okay. the plan because you, I just, so you I you and I you and I are I think can. maybe using plans slightly differently because when I say plan, I'm thinking of the Terraform script that defines all my resource definitions, right? I, I can test it and, and it'll show me what, what Terraform thinks it's going to do before I apply. Yeah, that's okay. what I was referring to. Okay, also, good. So I'm, I'm, I'm right on language. Always good to check. No, yeah, it's the, the Terraform plan. That's uh, when you generate the execution plan, it's, Terraform's going to tell you what it's going to do, or the resources right. it's going to create. Uh, and I do think that's important. I mean, you, that's what Terraform Cloud and Terraform Enterprise do. They do save the results of the plan. So you can see that over time, like um, did the, this plan that was successful, this plan was failed, this plan, whatever. But um, I, I don't 
I just use that as one piece of information. I don't use that as the definitive whether my uh, Terraform is is going to be successful or not. Because again, just because a plan succeeds doesn't mean my apply is going to succeed. It, it depends on a lot of things. For example, like do I have the permissions to be able to make those API calls? <laughs> yeah, you don't always necessarily have those, and or uh, because. The, the plan is not actually doing anything. Uh, it's not actually making API calls on your behalf. So it doesn't know if there's a resource collision. It doesn't mm-hmm. know even if it's able to create certain resources. Um, and so when, if, if I'm taking Terraform and it's, if I'm running it by hand, that that's pretty resolvable. What happens when people start using Terraform behind other automation? Right, because then I then I don't get the feedback about something going wrong. It strikes me this is one of those cases where you could just keep pushing the go button on a on a system, and Terraform is you know stuck or or hung up. Do you see people you know sort of wiring Terraform in behind the scenes on things? So I, I've definitely seen people uh, try to build automation layers to abstract what is happening with Terraform, but mm-hmm. then they inevitably. Uh, have to see more hands-on what the, what the plan is actually doing, what the apply is actually doing, how, how it actually ran. And um, so you're, you're going to need access to the plan. You're going to need access to the apply. You're going to be able to need to debug that because again, that the providers that Terraform has, they're written by people and people are imperfect. And so the, the, <laughs> these resources that are declarative that should be able to create a resource don't always behave the way that you would expect them to behave. Uh, sometimes they don't handle errors properly and, and the resource will fail for some reason. And, and so, yeah, you're gonna need to be able to sometimes uh, manually import resources. You're gonna need to overwrite the state of resources. You're gonna need to edit your state file even by hand sometimes. And for that, you're going to need a, a closer connection to your, your state file and to, to your uh, Terraform plan, Terraform apply. So um, I, you're, you're just, you're saying, you said edit state files by hand. <laughs> and that, that gives me like cold shivers. Is, is it even feasible? I mean, I, they're just JSON blobs. So I, I know you could do it, but that seems like very risky behavior. Is that, do you see that happening much? Yeah, it, it's not as, to be fair, it's not as common as it once was. And um, with the uh, and with the providers getting better and better all the time, it, it's just not as important anymore. But for example, I mean, there are some resources in Terraform that you literally cannot import. Like the way that they, they have the import ID just doesn't work. Uh, because the, the delimiter that they're using is the same as maybe uh, another variable in it. And, and mm. so it confuses what the delimiter is. So you literally cannot use the, their way to import the resource into your state file. You have to... Now that's a, an extreme example, and I don't recommend people editing state file all the time. But yeah, it's it's not that complicated either. You're you're talking about a JSON blob, as you mentioned. It's um, yeah. all you have to do is just increment the version number or the serial number, and and keep the lineage the same. And Terraform, as far as Terraform is concerned, everything is fine. Right. 
that makes sense. Is there, is there a way that you can like tell a good provider from a bad provider? Is there like a sniff test that you, people should be looking at? I mean, just some of these providers get tons of work. Even, even the, the big name ones to me have, you know, sort of weak spots in it. Um, mm -hmm. How do you, how do you evaluate a provider? Yeah. So there's really no way to just do like a snip test on a provider. Uh, actually, I mean, you could look at a provider's GitHub repo and they, if they don't have a lot of stars and the last time it was updated was eight months ago, then probably it's not, you're not going to have a satisfactory experience using that provider. There's a lot of providers that people have published on the provider registry. In fact, I've created my own, the shell providers. You can execute uh, com uh, command line scripts a little bit better than using the local exec provisioners, but there's just so many different providers. And a lot of them are like utility providers or one-off providers. I don't really like using those. I mainly like to stick with the, the verified cloud providers because those are the ones that are going to see the, the most uh, frequent uh, use in the community. Uh, but even then, They'll be got, I've been I've been burned by that by those providers getting updating and changing changing yeah. behavior subtly. So yeah. Well, now they have the the provider locking. There's a lock file that'll lock your versions for you. But you're right. I mean, the providers will change out from under you, and they'll they'll deprecate features that were once supported, and there's so things that used to work will no longer work, and then also. Uh, they'll change the name of resources or attributes or whatever it's um and even if there's there's actually a problem with a resource that's not supported or wasn't implemented the right way uh, they can be very slow or maybe even never to to fix those errors because uh, so many other people rely on that that being being broken that yeah. they can't actually fix it well, and it has the potential to go back and, and mess yeah. with somebody's state file if you apply. A... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the thing is that if you, as soon as you change these providers, it's a very delicate situation because uh, it actually can change the behavior of people's existing infrastructure. And because of that, they have to be very careful with what, what they approve. And so providers that were implemented poorly the first time around are very hard to change because now people will depend on that. <laughs> uh, and that makes sense. I, again, was, I, do, I do find yeah. that the handcrafted providers are going to be better than the, the generated provider. So the only example that generated provider that I know of is the Google cloud provider. Mm. They actually use this tool called magic modules to generate their provider because theoretically you should be able to do this, right? I mean, if Terraform providers are just making create read update delete calls, then why, why not make a, a tool that will uh, automate this process of creating the providers? But in practice, there's just so many weird things going on with APIs and uh, APIs, even for a company like Google are, are not uniform across all of their different services. They don't all behave the same way. Some of them are eventually consistent or, yes. um, or not consistent at all in, in some cases. And, it's uh... <laughs> you're you're actually so and I, I had the privilege of of writing the digital rebar provider for uh, Rackn. Um, oh, so I've done a third party provider and and 
that's there's there's stories over beer for those experiences through two versions of it but the 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 comment that i would have back around that is you know these aren't simple apis they they are workflows behind the scenes right when you're interfacing with with clouds it's not set an object and then you know get the get yes it worked result back they are they're right by definition the infrastructure pieces are always time lapse apis and terraform sort of fudging all that stuff and creating a nice like here's the file i want it to be go do it but behind the scenes, there's there's gears turning, and it takes time, and there's dependency graphs that have to be built by the providers, and it's it's not so simple to um, to compress all that stuff down to a JSON file. Um, it just just there's 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 dragons there, right? There's there's sticky edges. It's declarative only for the Terraform configuration code. As far as the providers, that's all imperative code. So you, you can't get around the use of procedural imperative programming languages to, to, to uh, interact with the providers, as you, as you said. Yeah, yeah that's, that's where things get, get tricky. And yet you, you, know, you don't know until you've run that plan. So is there a best practice? Like is, if, if somebody's sitting down and so you know, our assumption in this podcast is always that you, you know, this isn't your introduction to Terraform. That's not our goal. But if somebody's been using it pretty successfully, what do they do to up their game? Right? Besides read the last chapters of your book. What's what's the what's what's the recommendation from you on uh, bringing up leveling Terraform? Right. So when I think of Terraform, I think of a journey. So a lot of times people will start by just deploying like an EC2 instance on AWS, for example, and uh, they, they'll, they'll start that up and say, oh, gee, isn't that neat? And then maybe they'll move on to containerized platforms, like they'll deploy their Kubernetes cluster, and then they'll want to do some serverless deployments, maybe with Lambda or, or something like that. And uh, so it's kind of a journey of what can you what can you automate with Terraform? What kinds of things can you create with it? Uh, but then at some point you reach this level that says, what shouldn't I do with Terraform? Because just because you can do it with Terraform, it's not that it's not going to be that uh, golden hammer that you can use for everything, or shouldn't be, because there's a lot of bad practices around people using Terraform for again, for like automating their application delivery when they really should be using a tool that's better designed for that. Uh, and um, so, and then of course you have to think about security. Like how am I securing my secret variables in, in Terraform? How am I preventing the, the, the results of the plan or the apply from leaking out somewhere else? Um, how, how do I run Terraform and automation with other tools? Like, like how, where does Terraform fit in the larger CI/CD pipeline for my, my stack? Uh, so I, I think that when you start leveling up Terraform, you, you start thinking about where it fits in with the ecosystem and what, what it can and what, what its limitations are uh, rather than just what it can do. Because I think um, I mean, you can make any kind of tool to do anything that you want if you try to. <laughs> Very true. And I, I think this has been a good conversation because I think, you know, when I look back on what we've discussed, we've been talking about those limitations and those edges. And so 
in any tool, right, you're going to be more successful in the sweet spot. When you start using the tool in ways that, that challenge its design criteria, um, that's where things start to fall apart. And so I, I think that's, that's been a really good part of, of this conversation. Um, mm -hmm. And I do have, I should note, I do have, um, we'll, we'll make uh, uh, codes available. And so we have some codes available for Scott's book. Um, Scott, can you uh, give us the, the title of the book and how to, how to reach you and, and if you're speaking or places where, where people can learn more about you and about Terraform? Right, so my book is called Terraform in Action. So it's available on, on the Manning store right now. It's going to be released and is in, in publication in the next few months or so. So I'm very excited about that. And if you want to reach me, um, you can just, uh, my, my Twitter account is just Scott J. Winkler, or um, you can always reach out to me via email. And that's, uh, that's going to be in, in my book, uh, the About Me section. Excellent. Scott, I appreciate you the time and, and dropping some important lessons on Terraform and infrastructure as code on us. So thank you. Appreciate you coming on to the show. Thank you for having me. It was great. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. These conversations are so powerful for me and I, I really enjoy them. I want to know what you think. I want to hear from you. If you want to be a part of these conversations or the Cloud 2030 discussions, the2030.cloud is the place to go. Uh, and if you like these, please you know, promote, tell a friend, ask questions, get involved. Uh, this is really about hearing from our community and making the technology community uh, awesome and amazing in, in all sorts of different ways, uh, inclusion and access and the technology itself and, you know, making sure that we all have access to innovate. Thanks.